there. It's called Servants of Christ. Somebody say Servants of Christ. Servants. Amen. So go there with me to John chapter 12, verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus is talking. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus talks, I listen. And I don't know how you have been in Christianity, but after a while when Jesus talks, my listening can become numb if I've gotten comfortable with what he's saying. So I know as a Christian I'm supposed to listen and I feel like I'm doing that, but at times I hear something in the Bible and I'm like, I've already heard that. I'm good with that. And so if I were to say to you this verse, most of you would be like, I understand this. I get it. No big deal. We're all supposed to serve Jesus. The title of the sermon, very simple, Servants of Christ. How many believe we're supposed to serve Jesus? Amen. I mean, there's nothing really theologically deep in that sentence. We are supposed to serve Jesus. The problem is we don't want to do it Jesus' way. And when I say we, I'm talking about the church primarily in America today. Doesn't want to do it Jesus' way. They want to make it up as they go along, picking and choosing how they're going to serve Jesus. Jesus told us that we should serve him by obeying his commands. So the commands in the Bible give us the direction or the job description of how we should serve him. And so I want you to look at this passage as I go into some of those commands today of how we all should serve Jesus. I want you to think about how privileged we are to serve Jesus. Because oftentimes we forget that it's a privilege to serve Jesus. I think sometimes we would rather someone do it for us, and we forget that it's actually an honor to be on Jesus' team. And so if you're on Jesus' team, it's not humble to say, well, I'll just be on the bench. That's actually prideful. On Jesus' team, nobody should be on the bench, and certainly nobody should be in the, the stands as a fan. Jesus is not looking for spectators, in other words, and he's not looking for bench warmers. Jesus wants all of us to be on the team, on the field, with him coaching us. But as we're going to see, because he is God, he goes beyond being a coach, standing on the sideline, telling us what to do. He's actually with us while we're doing it. This is amazing. It's like playing the game with the coach. It's like going to school with your parents, young people. It's like having your wife everywhere you go, husbands. Can I hear an amen to that? You see, we don't get to do that in normal life. We don't get to take our loved ones with us and do it all together, do we? I, I don't get to have my wife up here the whole time and share that moment with her. And most of us say it feels alone at times when you're doing your job, when you're doing school, you're doing those kinds of things. You can't wait to get home to where those relationships empower you and encourage you. And sadly, there are some people in the church feeling like they're serving God alone, but they don't understand that where Jesus is is where they are. And where they are, Jesus is. The Bible says he's with us. Let's look at this passage, John chapter 12, verse 23. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Amen. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This means he's going to die on the cross, be buried, then he's going to rise up and ascend to heaven. So it's going to happen. And it says, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Okay, so let's just get the illustration Jesus is saying here. If you have an apple seed and you just eat it 
And, and, you know, technically we don't eat apple seeds, but we would eat corn seeds. You know, you eat the corn, and the corn is actually the seed, right? So you could do that, and that's all you get is you get the taste of the one seed. The sunflower seed is another popular seed that we eat, corn. I mean, we can name a whole bunch of seeds that we like, pumpkin seeds. And if you eat that seed, that's all you get from it, one seed. But if you put the seed in the ground, let it die, let it dissolve, and let the miracle of life happen there, that one seed will produce a plant with thousands of fruit that will come to that tree over a lifetime with thousands of seeds. Does everybody get that? Okay, you got to understand that because Jesus is not a one-off. Jesus is the unique son of God, only equal with the father. No one else is like him in that way. But the whole purpose of Jesus coming wasn't to be a show-off, to show us he's a superman. The purpose of Jesus coming was to show us what man can be. Because in Christ, now we who were once imperfect now become perfect like our heavenly Father is perfect. We who once used to be sinful now become saints. We who used to be far from God are now close. And the Bible is teaching us right here through Jesus' words that he could come and be a superman and do all of that and go right to heaven. But that would only be one seed. He wants a bunch of little Jesuses and little Christs. Christians is exactly what that means, running around. Now, you might say, well, does that mean we're blaspheming and saying there's many Jesuses? No, no, no. Remember, when you say Joe Jr. and you look at my son, or you say he's a little Sammy Sosa Jr., you don't mean literally they're the same person. What you're saying is they're like them in attribute. And that's exactly what the word Christian means, like Christ. I'm a junior Christ. Christ is the leader. Christ is the original. He is the cookie-cutter image that I am stamped and made in. But nonetheless, I am made like him. We were born as sinners into Adam, but born again as saints in Christ. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of God. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I could just go back to heaven and just be a one-off, or I could die so that I can multiply. Woo! You see, Jesus died to multiply. He wanted to multiply himself in the earth. He wanted you to be like him. He wanted you to be so much like him that when the world would see you, they would say, there's a Jesus Jr., As a matter of fact, that's how we got the name Christ-like or Christ Jr., the name Christian, by people seeing us act so much like Christ. They gave us the name. We didn't even give it to ourselves. We didn't have to tell them, hey, 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 I'm a Christian. They saw us live in the way we act, and they go, Christ-like. There's a Christ follower right there. There's a Christ Jr. right there. There's a little Jesus right there. Once again, we're not saying where Jesus is the sense of the Son of God. No more than when you point to my son and say, there's a little Joe right there. You're not saying he's me. Does everybody get that? Please do not uh, think I am blaspheming against our Lord and Savior. I'm not saying we all become God. What I am simply saying is what the Scripture says. The seed dies so that many seeds, many fruit can come. Does everybody get that? That's Jesus' example. I don't know how else to explain that other than that. Now look to verse 5, 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Because now he's teaching us you can only be one kind of seed. 
You will either be a seed like him, like Christ, or you will be a seed of the world. There are really only two paths. One is God's and then every other way. And Jesus is saying here, you can't do this your way. You don't get made to be like me while you're trying to be made like a superstar on TV or an entertainer or a musician. You don't try to bring in the world's way of doing things, which we know is under the power of Satan, the lowercase g God of this world, or age as the Bible says. We don't get to do it that way. It's either God's way or no way. And so he says it very simply. If you love your life and you like the way you're doing it, you are going to lose it. Because after 80, 90 years, you lose it. And then you face judgment on what you did with it. And if you didn't give it to Christ, you lose it again. So you either get to die twice or get to live twice. You die once physically. Everybody's going to face that. But if you don't have Christ, you're going to die again, the Bible says, in eternal separation in the lake of fire. But as you are living now once, if you accept Christ into your life, you get a second life. You get to be born again. And then after your body dies, you get eternal life with the king of glory. Hallelujah. So do you want to die twice or live twice? And so the Bible says you literally, in comparison, have to hate your life to how much you love Jesus' life for you. So it's not a toss-up. It's not like, well, I kind of feel like I can do it Lady Gaga's way and Beyonce's, Beyonce's way, but I just I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to do it Jesus' no, Jesus's way. No, the Bible is saying you have to hate that way. You have to hate the way of Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey, Donald Trump, godlessness, Hillary Clinton. You have to hate godlessness, God without God in the world. You have to hate the idea of what it looks like, your life, when you live without God in it. You hate it. You go, well, you don't go, well, you know, Bill, you know, uh, Bill Gates, he doesn't have God, but man, look how successful he is. I, I envy that kind of a man. Literally, the Bible says, if you are like that, you are a fool because you're literally walking up to a child, get this, building a sandcastle about a foot from the ocean, going, that's where I want to live and spend eternity. A sandcastle only lasts but a moment. And imagine behind you this humongous mansion built on pillars and on the, you know, the height of a cliff, you know, at the top. And, and you're saying, no, 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 I don't want to live on the rock. I want to live here in a sandcastle. That's all Bill Gates has is a sandcastle, a pretty sandcastle. It's a, it's a helpful sandcastle, you know, all the technology, but it's nothing but a sandcastle. Bible says all the world will be turned to dust in a moment when he comes. And so in comparison, there's really not a comparison. I hate Joe without Jesus. I hate Joe's life without Jesus. I hate Joe's thoughts. My name's Joe, by the way, if you didn't know that, family members, just in case you thought I was picking on another person in the audience here. Uh, but I do hate you without Jesus too. In that sense, I hate your attitude without Christ, Right? We should hate the life that says, I don't need Christ, starting with our own. I don't like the way Joe looks without Christ. I don't like the way Joe acts without Christ. 
though it may look like a pretty sand castle for a few moments, it leads to destruction. Now here's verse 26, and this is where I hope to talk about, uh, you know, center our message on today. Look at it, verse 26. Whoever serves me, somebody say serves me, must follow me. Woo, is that beautiful. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And watch this. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. How many of you want to be honored by the Father? Amen. I know I want to be honored by the Father. There is a portion of this passage that has brought tears to my eyes each time I've meditated on it, and I don't know if I'll get past it if I try to start meditating on it right now very long, but I have to be honest with you, and I'm not trying to manipulate you with my emotions, but I really want you to see if you get what I'm getting out of this. He says, and where I am, my servant also will be. Think about that. Jesus is saying, where I am, my servant will be right there with me. That is, to me, some of the most beautiful language of the Bible. That we are not left in the back room and treated as second-class citizens. We're brought right with him. We have a privilege greater than being friends with the president. We have a privilege greater than being able to go into the locker rooms after the Cubs or White Sox play. We are having Jesus, the Lord of glory, say to us, where I am, my servant is also. It's almost like it's unheard of. It's like Psalm 23, after you go through all of this beautiful language about the shepherd and the sheep, he says at the end, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What sheep do you know that gets to go in the house? And yet Jesus says, my sheep, they don't just hang out there. They come in here. My servants are not just out there in the field somewhere. They're where I'm at. Can I tell you the story about Carlos Nacondia from Argentina? Got saved as a successful businessman. And he wanted to start preaching and seeing the communities changed and saved. But the pastor, as wise as he was, said, you're not ready yet. I want you to learn to serve Jesus first in a way where no one gives you attention. Because he knew he was a gifted man. He had a successful business. Of course, it would be easy to prop him up on a stage and say, everybody, be like that guy. But the pastor said, no, help the women clean the church. Come on Saturdays and start serving Jesus as the church is cleaned. And you might think that Jesus is not there on Saturdays. No, but the Bible says he's where his servants are and his servants are where he is. And so Carlos Anacondia, who became a great evangelist and filled soccer stadiums, tells the story that when he got there, it actually wasn't what he expected because he thought that the women cleaning the church were going to be excited as he was to serve Jesus. You see, he was a new believer, and it was an honor. He had people in his own company that now cleaned his business, so it was an honor now to clean Jesus' business. He was Jesus' servant. He was the CEO of his company, but here at the church, he was just a servant. So he heard the ladies talking as they were cleaning, 
And they were complaining, all oh, these children, they put marks on the walls and put their fingerprints all over the windows, and they were talking about it, and then they, they were complaining that, you know, these visitors come, they don't know where to put back the Bibles into the pews, and, and, and these people who have been coming for so long, they, they should know better, they leave their trash here, they should know better. And he says, all of that could be true. Children should know better where to put their hands and people should throw garbage away and, and maybe a visitor should know a book goes back where you got it. Okay. He said, but God began to speak to his heart and get him to start to pray for everything he was cleaning. So when he saw the, the finger marks on the windows for the children, see, Jesus was with them and he understood that. He began to say, Jesus, thank you for every child that has touched this window in this house of God. And for every garbage that's been left behind, thank you for every person that came Sunday to church. And Lord, thank you for those that make this their church and walk here with their dirty shoes. You see, at that moment, he began to realize it wasn't something he was doing just for Jesus. It was something he was doing with Jesus. And I know the language there can sometimes throw us off because technically we're always doing stuff for Jesus in that sense. I live for Jesus. I serve, you know, my, give my life for Jesus and all of that. But the real way we're supposed to look at it is, is I'm living my life with Jesus. I'm cleaning the church with Jesus. I'm picking up people in the, in the church van with Jesus. And like I said, I can't meditate on this too long because I think of 20 years of ministry. And I can tell you honestly, oftentimes I felt I was just alone doing something for Jesus. I got to come early, open up the building for Jesus in his church. I've got to go do this thing because somebody dropped out of, of helping, and I've got to go do this for Jesus. And sometimes we don't even put Jesus in there. We just say for the church, and we forget Jesus is the Lord of the church. And so then we find ourselves with more reasons to put the church down because we think the church is a building instead of people. And as I looked over those 20 years, I began to realize there wasn't one time I ever did something for Jesus that I wasn't doing it with Jesus. And so as a church, we have to want to do things with Jesus. So where is Jesus going today that he wants you to follow? Where does he want you to be? Because that's the purpose of why we do discipleship. And would you please put up that slide that Griselda went over. And we go over it every service. And sometimes the images change, thank you. But the message has remained the same since we started this church. We're loving God and people, okay? That's our foundation. But how are we going to do that through this system of connect, mentor, send? And I know the words aren't special. They're not necessarily holier than other words. But the systematic, the idea, the, the process here is that we connect to Jesus. We learn to share Jesus as we go out into the world. And I just want to know, just today, just today, please be honest with me as I've been being honest with myself as I've been studying this, is do you see yourself doing stuff just for Jesus or do you see yourself doing stuff with Jesus? Because that's what ordination really means, is it, is it saying, here is a couple as it is today, or here's a, an individual, here are people who have said, I want to live life with Jesus. 
it's not really like some position that they, may, that they get because they're better than anybody else. I know some churches have done that where deacons are voted in because they simply have the most amount of money or something. But that's not the biblical example. The biblical example is we're supposed to point to people as leaders in the church. We're supposed to point to people and go, we need their help because they've already been doing so much with Jesus. It's like you've been doing this well. Will we... Can we give you a position now? Let's go to Acts chapter 6, and let's see if we can see that there. It's not like we give you a position, and then you start doing stuff for Jesus. No, those who get the positions are those who have been already doing stuff with Jesus. Do you see the difference? Look at Acts chapter 6. This is where the word deacon first comes up. Dekanos in the Greek. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, and thank God for our church always increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them, that's Greek Jews, complained against the Hebrew Jews. So there's a little bit of racism there among Jewish people. Isn't that something? Humanity will find all kinds of ways to divide themselves, right? And and we have to get over that in, in Christianity, don't we? We have to love all people equally. Can I hear an amen to that? But in the Bible, the Greek Jews and the Hebrew Jews... We're not getting along because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the Greek Jews were feeling like we're not getting taken care of, and the Hebrew Jews get the first, you know, first servings. They get to jump ahead of the line, and we're always in the back of the line. That's simply what's going on there. So the 12, talking about the apostles, Judas has been, uh, you know, Judas killed himself and been replaced by Matthias. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait. Now that word wait is also the word serve, and it comes from the Greek word dekanos. It's all the same thing, and the word dekanos means deacon. So deacon, servant, waiter, it's all the same word. Does everybody get that? A servant, a deacon, a waiter, dekanos, all the same exact thing. It said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, look at this. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So it's like they're saying, we need help. And we just can't get anybody to do this. We need people who are full of the Holy Spirit and are full of wisdom. Now, sadly, some people uh, go to churches where they've been given responsibility and they're not able to give a response because they don't have the Spirit and they don't have wisdom. I don't know if you've ever met a mean usher or a sassy saint or, you know, or a disrespectful children's worker. It can happen, you know. And if it happens here, please let us know because we're not playing that here. In our church, we believe that the people who are even responsible of what we would consider menial tasks, like handing out food at the dinner, need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So let me ask you this while we get ready to go a little bit deeper here. Let me just ask you this. Is there any Christian that should be disqualified from this because they have a greater calling than this? Like, is there anybody that can say, Joe, you're really not talking to me. This doesn't apply to me. No, and even if you were to say, well, I want to be an elder, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, where do you think elders start? As deacons serving. And I could show you that in church history. I didn't start with the microphone, thank God. How how many are happy I had to be trained and be ordained and be a servant 
And now I keep the servant heart in all that I do as a leader. Where do you think these 12 came from, those 12 apostles? Do you just think they came right out of Bible college as know-it-alls? No, they had been serving Jesus for three years. And when you look at our church process from Connect, Mentor, Send, on average it takes people anywhere from a year to three years. And that's okay. So he said, choose from among yourselves those that you see are already responsible, those that you see that are already coming early, staying late, helping out with their life group or ministry would be our context. And then we'll give them this responsibility, but make sure they are full of God's spirit and wisdom. That means they're not going to have pity patty parties because they feel weak and tired. They're going to find their strength in Jesus. Listen, everybody, the, the servants of the church will actually use this scripture in context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They'll actually use that in context, which means getting up early and coming to church because Christ gives you strength. Staying late because Christ gives you strength. Holding crying babies because Christ gives you strength. Driving the van on snowy days because Christ gives you strength. That scripture in context is not meant for you to use before a meeting that you haven't prepared for on your job, and now you got to make a presentation, and you didn't prepare because you were watching Game of Thrones all last night or something, and now you go to that job interview or to that presentation and go, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, Holy Spirit. No, this is God saying, I am with the dedicated disciples, and I am empowering them to do things that go beyond their own skill and ability. Have you ever looked back at something in your life and, and you go, I don't know how I did that? That's a God moment, isn't it? Because God used you in a way you weren't ready for. You can look back, you should as Christians look back at things in your life, whether it's through parenting, whether it's through you know, your relationships and decisions and actions that you did and successes that came from that. You should have moments in your life you can look back on and go, whoop, there it is, God showed up. Look at your neighbor and say, whoop, there it is. You should be able to say, whoop, there it is. There's a miracle. There's where God showed up. Now, are these elders being lazy? They just want to pray and read their Bible. No. If someone wasn't going to start making the doctrines of the early church, they could be swept away by heresies. These apostles had to start teaching the new covenant truths. They had to spend their time going back into the Old Testament scriptures, applying it to the New Testament. They weren't saying that they were better than going out there and handing out the food. They were just saying, we got jobs we have to do. Someone can do that job and enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed it when we did it. And so delegation is never shifting responsibility to others because you're lazy. As a church and as a pastor, I hope you never see us that way. The only reason why I'm not doing the greeting, the ushering, and taking care of babies is so I can stand up here and do this. But I've done all of that before joyfully. I have no issue with it. And those of you who start off as deacons, maybe you'll become leaders in the church and you'll have other deacons and people working with you. Never become a peacock and think you're better than them. Just remain humble in whatever position God has given you. So don't think that authority can necessarily mean bad attitude. And I know we have that saying, you know, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and maybe there's some truth to that. But Jesus had absolute power, and he was the most humble man that walked the earth. 
Moses had a lot of power, and he, he was told to be the meekest man that walked on the earth. Okay, so don't just look to people at the top and go, oh, they're just prideful. Pastor Joe can't meet with me today because it's prideful. No, Joe can't meet with you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because Joe's had other plans at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And we make other people available for your random emergency, which, which we have as other leaders. Now, if I don't have other leaders that can respond to your emergencies, how many emergencies do you think I can respond to before I let you down? What, 20, 30? I pastored this church from zero to now over 200 with two full-size services. Listen, I, told, I can tell you right now, it only took about 30 people's lives to, to take up all my time. I'm just being honest. You all know what I'm talking about. People are crazy. Okay, let's just keep it real. Most people are crazy. And if you just think about it, let's just think you're, you're trying to help 30 people in your life. You're just trying to help 30 people, right? If just one of them has an issue once a week, that's already more weeks than there are in the month. Are you listening to me? And most issues don't just take one day, one meeting, one hangout. I fit, you know, it's fixed now. No, no, it's multiple times. I had an issue going on last, last week. I think I spent at least 12 hours helping our leaders work their way through it. 12 hours. And a lot of the people still didn't listen. And then I said to myself, why am I even doing this? A lot of times people think, well, I want to talk to the pastor. No, you don't. If you don't like what our leaders said, I can almost guarantee you, you are definitely not going to like what I have to say when I get into that meeting. They're always thinking like, I don't know, like you think I'm going to come in there and just jump to your side. I don't do that. I hear the whole thing. And most of the time, my leaders are hitting it on the right side. Not saying they can't be wrong. We have a system for that. We have a way that other leaders can be checked here. We have it all written out. Man, I love how our church does this. We, we ask you to solve a problem-solving contract a problem-solving contract before you even start the 101. That means before there is a problem, we tell you how we're going to solve our problems. And at first, it was just a half a page, a little contract. And then the church got bigger, a little bit more messier, because you know messy people have messes, right? Oh, you got quiet when I said that. I said messy people cause messes. You all know that, right? Okay, so it started off about a half a page, basically like I won't be crazy in the church. Okay, you're cool. And then it became a page. And then it became a page and a half. The last one I just wrote, I believe now, is getting on three pages. <laughs> oh, that set me free to say that to you. Because you just want to help people. You're like, if you do this, we're going to do this. And then if this leader does this, we're going to do this. And then if this, 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 this. And I remember one time I was talking to my pastor because when we had like a half a page one, I said, Pastor, we have a half a page contract. This person left and they still caused a mess. I'm like, how could they do that? They signed the contract. They weren't going to mess up like this. And he's like, brother, people get divorced every day and they sign contracts, you know. People lie on their taxes and sign contracts, you know. We, you know, we try in the church to avoid problems, but there's nothing we can do to ensure you ain't going to be crazy or our leaders aren't going to be crazy. Ju Jesus had a Judas, and that was the best pastor you could possibly ever have. Amen? And so it, the problem wasn't with the pastor, the leader. The problem was with the person causing messes. So I thank God that there's a church like Metro Praise International that gives responsibility to people, whether it's ushering, greeting, counseling, life group leading, working with your children, and all of that, we are here to say we're going to do it our best way. We're going to do it the way the Bible told us to do it. And then the verses there, it lists off their names. Let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. How many want to hear what leaders should be like? Amen. The Bible gives us clear instructions at what our lives should be like. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
This is the standard that I am held accountable to. I've read it here on almost every ordination service, and I don't think we should ever get tired of reading it because this is the problem-solving contract of the Bible. This is basically saying, hey, if you go to a church, this is what you should expect from your elders. This is what you should expect from the deacons. And then it says later on what to do if elders or deacons sin. And then it says what to do if you should sin, if you're not an elder or deacon. I mean, almost the whole book of 1 Timothy, if anybody were to ask me, Joe, what's one of your favorite books in the Bible? One of them is 1 Timothy. Because I have started ministry as a young man where Timothy is at here under Apostle Paul. And I have had to apply almost every single verse of this book in our, in our church. So it's relevant, y'all. Let's look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, let's just do the same thing with the words as we did before. Just like serve, just like waiter, a servant, waiter, deacon, deaconos, all mean the same thing. Elder, overseer, bishop, presbyter, leader, all the same thing. Does everybody get that? So let's, you know, sometimes denominations, they'll make all of those words I just said different positions. But technically they are not. They are interchangeable for the same exact position. The position is simply saying, here's the leaders in the church, what they should be like. And then it's going to say, here are the deacons, what they should be like. Okay? Now the overseer is to be above reproach. Let's just stop right there. If we cannot get your family to affirm, whether it's your ex-wife, your baby mama, to affirm that you're ready to lead ministry, we're not going to ordain you as an elder. If you still have charges out against you, we are not going to ordain you as an elder. Are you listening? I got all kinds of crazy people in the church wanting me to ordain them. I'm like, you still got charges. <laughs> you ain't right with your baby mama. You, you, you guys get what I'm saying? You got to be above reproach. You know, sometimes people say, well, pastor, I know others who don't like you. Well, ask them what they don't like about me. He's mean. He offended me. Okay, it does not reproach me being mean. Reproaches, I got charges. Reproaches, I don't treat my wife right. Reproaches are I steal money. You get what I'm saying? Like real evidence. Not just Joe was a meanie. Hello, you don't crucify somebody you love. I don't think Jesus told them what they wanted to hear all the time either. You don't behead John the Baptist because he's singing you nursery rhymes every day. They beheaded John the Baptist because he, he told a man in adultery to repent. So this is not Niceanity. This is Christianity. Amen. So we're above reproach, faithful to his wife. That means you don't cheat on your wife. If we can look back at your life and you have recently cheated on your wife, we're going to say we're going to hold this process up a little bit. Because we want to see faithfulness, temperate, self-controlled, respectable. Doesn't mean they have to wear a suit. Thank you, Jesus. You can be respectable in jeans and some sketchers. Okay, come on. Hospitable. Open up their house. Able to teach. Don't you think an elder should be able to teach? Now, whether or not they're exciting or boring, that's another thing. Sometimes I've been around some boring teachers before, but thank God they had the other stuff right, okay? One professor told me it's a sin to be boring. I don't know. I don't see that in the Bible. But, you know, it should be interesting when you come around a teacher in class or life group or on Sundays. Okay, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness. That's obvious, right? Not violent but gentle. If the pastor is having fights out in the street with disgruntled members, that's a problem, okay? If, if you see that going on, please, please call the police and then leave that church. Amen. Okay, and it says, not quarrelsome. That means the pastor shouldn't be looking to pick a fight everywhere. And I keep saying pastor because elders a lot of times are pastors, but they don't necessarily need to be so. 
Some churches call all their elders pastors. Some distinguish between pastor and elder. We technically are a church that believes in two main offices, elder and deacon, and then the five-fold ministry of apostle, prophet, uh, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. We believe that the elder and deacon can do all of that. So when you see like Griselda up here, she's a pastor, but she, she can also do evangelism, et cetera, and so forth. And then like the deacons that we're ordaining today, they could be apostles. God could use them down the road to do that or to start a life group like an apostle and all these various things, evangelize, pr prophecy. So instead of looking at five-fold ministry gifts as separate offices than elders and deacons, we basically look at elders and deacons as the two positions in the church, and those are the five gifts, the five functions of elders and deacons. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. That's just, I think, a more helpful way to look at it because I think that's what they were doing in the scriptures. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. If your children are out of order, if your children can't even be in the house with you, you can't lead anybody from, your pers from the perspective of, of being a family man. Are you tracking with me? If your kids can't be in your house. I got to tell people this sometimes because they, I get in all kinds of debates in this church with people. Well, it was unfair that this happened, this happened, this. I get there are stories and there are issues and there's two sides to every story, but I take being an elder very serious. I would rather you be a deacon here for 20 years, be the greatest preacher, singer, apostle, whatever in the world you call yourself. I would rather you wait 20 years to get your family in order than to me send you out into ministry as an elder and your whole life be a mess. And we got to take care of baby mama drama. We got to take care of the, you know, your children that are out of order from another marriage. I want your life in order. Is that too much to ask in the church? And that's why we take our time ordaining elders. Elders in our church are, are vetted very, very thoroughly in this church. I believe you would probably get on the police force or be accepted into the military quicker than you would get to be an elder here. And I think those are great vetting systems as well. We take our vetting of elders very serious here. Because let's say uh, they do the background check for the police or for the, uh, the military, so forth and so on. They don't care if you're looking at pornography. They don't care if you've cheated on your wife, you know, for the most part. They don't care. That, that's, not, that's not a prerequisite to become a doctor is whether or not you're looking at pornography porn or whether or not that you have a bad attitude. You know, can you pass the test? Are you a person of general moral character, whatever they consider that to be, you know, then they'll put you into the medical world. They'll put you into the military world. They'll put you into the police force. In the Christian church, don't you believe we should be held to a higher standard? Amen. I'm sick and tired of pastors being arrested, pastors being found out and all of that. Well, that's what I say back to you guys. Would you rather go to a mid-sized church that's at least safe or to a mega church that's a mega mess? Now, I'm not saying every mega church is a mega mess. I'm just saying on our way up to that point, would you rather us do it right or for me to be kissing on my administrator in the, in, in the back office? Some of these churches in our city were growing to 20,000 while the pastor's having affairs. I mean, so what do you say about that kind of growth? It's not good growth. I can say I'm growing all the time, but it's not necessarily good. It's better to grow here than it is to grow here, right? And a cancer can spread fast. That doesn't mean it's right. And how quickly can you multiply mice compared to elephants? Elephants take, I think, 18 months in the womb. I mean, they are there for a long time, and it takes a lot of resources to get an elephant to grow. Mice just come out like this. So what are we raising up here, mice or elephants? What do you want to be for Jesus, a little mini mouse or a mighty elephant for Jesus? A lion, amen. 
Have your children obey you. He must do so in a worthy manner, full of respect. If anyone, look at, I mean, Paul even then repeats himself in verse 5. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So it doesn't matter to me if you've had a crazy past with three baby mamas or three baby daddies, all that. If you want to be a leader here, it's not based on your singing. It is not based on your preaching or your prophetic gift that you can do. Here's what's going to be based on in our church if you want to step up to an elder is you better manage your life and your family right. Now go back up to verse 1 so everybody can see why I'm talking to you all like this. Because the Bible actually says whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So this is not a club of the elite. This is not a place where there's ins and outs. Every single one of you, please look up at me because I want to make this connection with you. Every one of you can desire to be an elder here. Every one of you. It's just like if you're a citizen, you can become an alderman. You can become a mayor. You can, you know, it's the same thing in the church. If you belong to this church, you can literally say right now, it's my goal to be an elder. I don't take that in the pride, I don't take that in a prideful sense. I actually take that as something cool. Like if you walked up to me a day and shook my hand and were like, Pastor, I love that message. My goal is to be an elder one day. That is awesome. The Bible literally says you are aspiring to do a noble task. I'm not threatened by that. Now, if you came up to me and said, I want to be an elder and have a crazy life, I'm gonna say, listen, your your monkey self with your circus can go somewhere else. Because I don't want monkeys in a circus here. You guys listening to me? You ever seen that meme? Not my monkeys, not my circus. Y'all don't know that meme. Okay, there's a meme that shows a bunch of monkeys acting crazy. And it says, you just need to tell yourself, not my monkeys, not my circus. If you want to come to this church and be messy, I'm going to tell you, that's, you're not the monkey. I don't want monkey business here. I don't want a circus here. But if you said, man, I want to be a leader And pastor, I want to ascribe to every one of those things right there. I want to do every one of those things right there. That's not monkey business to me. That's God's business. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go back down to where we were. The Bible teaches us that he must manage his own household well. Otherwise, how can he take care of God's house? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he will become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. This is one of my biggest problems early on. When you start the church with little to no people, somebody says, I'm faithful. I'm like, here's the keys. I'm like, you're a leader now. You can do whatever you want. But after I saw that blow up about 20 times, that's why now our process takes about one to three years. And and I think it's sometimes too quick for some people. Sometimes I feel like, man, we let them jump too quick because there wasn't enough areas handled. Because I don't want to see people come into ministry, out of ministry. Now, I'm thankful in our church you can come out and be restored. But I don't want to see this up and down like this. I want to see people go from glory to glory to glory. And so if you're here today and you say, well, I've been recently saved and I want to be all of these things, I'm going to be especially careful with you. Our leaders are going to be especially careful because look at the warning. You may become conceited. You may become conceited and fall under the same judgment of the devil. I used to see this when I would help homeless people. I would go to the streets of New Orleans, preach the gospel. If they were homeless, I would say, hey, man, you can come home with me. And then I would act as like a mediator between them and the shelter. I would find the right shelter for them. And by the way, men only, okay, so I'm not like taking home homeless women into my house. How many can say thank you, Jesus, for that? It's good to clarify when you're telling stories like that, right? So I would take home these men, 
And sometimes even they would be transvestite men, dressing like women, but they were men. And I brought in over 30 into my house, and then I would call up various homeless shelters and say, okay, this guy's in this situation. This is what he's going through. What's the one that's best? And I worked with about three or four, and I would always find them the right place. It would take about a week or two, but I would make sure I would get them in the right place. But there was always this symptom that would happen in between that two-week time. I would deal with it all the time. Like out of the 30 men I brought into my house, at least like 20 of them I would deal with this, and of course some would be even much worse. And that would be what I would call the homeless shoe uh, syndrome. And what that would mean is they would come in, and New Orleans, when you go down their streets, because there's always so much alcohol and it rains there, the, the streets are just filthy, man. They're just dirty, and, and it, your, your shoes would stink, especially if you were homeless and you were down there trudging through this alcohol, urine, garbage mess all the time. There's a distinct smell to that. So I would make sure they would get different shoes, you know. I would make sure they would get different pants, and I would take care of them so that they wouldn't stink all the time. But within about a couple days after they were now sober with some new shoes on, the homeless shoe syndrome would come. And that would be, they would want to start teaching me how to be a pastor. With about 48 hours of sobriety, they knew more than I did. And they would start arguing with me. And then they would start saying, well, I don't need a shelter. And sometimes they would get so angry with me because I would tell them, you can't, they would like try to negotiate. Well, can I stay here and get a job now? I mean, this is a cool way to live. And I'm like, no, you're going to a shelter or you're going on the streets again, you know? And sometimes they would get so mad at me, they would leave my house, slam the door, and they would be flicking me off, telling me, oh man, you don't love me, you don't care about me, all the time while they're wearing my shirt, my pants, and the shoes that I gave them. That was their way of showing how conceited they would be. And I wish I could say it was only homeless people that acted that way. But I can tell you I've seen so many broken people come into this church, and maybe after a year or so, uh, they know more than me. They want to do their own thing. They want to take their life group in their own direction because they're, they're a better leader than me. And as they're leaving, they're leaving with the things we gave them, shouting their epithets at us. Don't become conceited. Don't use what God has given you here to fall under the same condemnation of the devil. Use what you're learning here to remain a servant. If you start here and you don't want to finish here, let us send you out and bless you. Don't leave conceited with another symptom that I call guns blazing. Well, now that you've told me something we don't like, I'm going to tell you what I really think about you from two years ago to last year. And I'm like, no wonder your life is a mess if this is how you handle problems. Why didn't you come to us two years ago? Why didn't you come to us a year ago? Why are you leaving now with your six-shooter? The reason is, is because pride is so deceiving. Do you think when the devil was leaving heaven, like he really understood now he's going to hell? No. He really thought, I'm leaving heaven, and it's going to be better than worshiping this guy. He was so deceiving in his conceit and in his pride that the Bible says he got a third of the angels to leave with him. Should I be any surprised when people leave this church and try to get others to follow them? If Satan himself could get a third to leave God's kingdom in heaven, should we be surprised when people take others with them and leave the wrong way? Of course not. It's the way of Satan to divide and to deceive. And so one of my greatest passions now is not to rush people into ministry, 
to have people take their time because conceit is deceiving to the conceited. I write about it in one of our discipleship books. I had it so bad, and I know what it feels like because I truly believed, guys. Listen, you guys ready for this? I went to a Bible college with at least five professors that poured into my life. At least they had 20-plus years. Some of them had 40 years of ministry. They had 100 years of ministry experience between the five of them. I had only been saved for a year, and I literally thought I was there to teach them. I, I really did. Because I'm young, I know how to reach this generation, they were old, I've read my Bible, and I've got a plan, and I literally argued with one to the point where they showed me the door and said, if you don't want to do it our way, you can go. And I walked out that door going, man, I know more than you, and I'll take that invitation to leave. It wasn't until, thank God for a godly mother, a witness in my life, my mother who had led me to the Lord at the kitchen table said, you did what? What? My Italian mom wasn't having none of that. She's like, you did what? You said what? You are out of your mind. This is literally what my mother said. You better find one of those professors, fall on your knees and repent before God. And I ignored her, but I went to that gas station anyway to pump up my car. It was full of gas, ready to head back to Indiana. This was in New Orleans. And as I went to that gas station, somebody came up to me to say, hey, how are you doing? You know, in the south, they kind of talk to each other like that. Uh, in, in the north, we kind of just do this. You know, while you're pumping your gas, that's it. You know, a little bit like that. And that's even weird right there. Like, what you nodding at me for, man? You nodding at me? What, you got a problem? You know? But in the south, they actually talk to you. Like, hey, man, how are you doing? It was just funny because I was in the south just a few weeks ago. They were talking to me again. I'm like, why are you talking to me, man? That's like... I'm in my gas. What do you think I'm doing? You know, like, so hey, how you doing? So this guy asked me, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm pumping gas. And I normally would say, every day is a good day with Jesus. Every day is a good day. But I was so convicted. I knew inwardly I was doing something wrong that I mumbled something back to him, like, man, I'm all right, whatever. And God struck me in my heart and said, Joe, if you leave here the wrong way, I'm going to leave you. No, I knew that that didn't mean he would never love me or care about me, but I understood what that meant was, you leave here the wrong way, we're not going on a plan B. Plan A will be waiting right here for you. And so oftentimes the conceited got to come back to plan A. Can I hear an amen for that? It says, he must have a good reputation with outsiders so they will not fall into disgrace and to the devil's trap. That's all for the elders. Now watch this. It continues for the deacons, which we'll be ordaining today. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. Do you all see that? You must first be what? Tested. That's, I didn't make that up. The Bible said that. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Isn't that cool? Let them serve as servants. Only after they've done all of that, then you let them. Oh my gosh, is that not the most opposite thing you've ever heard? Most people are like, I don't want to serve. Find somebody else. I've literally, I got to be honest, I have literally had women in the church be nannies. Tell us they don't want to help in the back with the children. I'm like, you are a nanny. You get paid to do this. You want to have children. She didn't have children at the time. Now she, I think she has three. And you are literally telling us, this is what they told us, literally. 
we will leave the church if part of our requirement is to be, you know, women are asked to serve back there. It's part of the requirement in discipleship. At that point, we don't do it now. We let you choose because we got tired of having the wrong attitudes back there. Let's just be honest with that. Okay. But at this point, we were going to, like, use this as a teachable moment. And she's like, if that's the way it's going to be, then me and my family going to leave. A woman who was a nanny left the church because the church asked her to nanny. What redonkulous world have we showed up to in Christianity? Who is running this matrix right now? I want to know. You are willing to do something for a dollar that you will not do for the king of kings. And we've got people in this church with master's degrees that pay nannies that do nannying for the kingdom of God. And you think you're better than the woman with a master's degree that actually pays people like you to nanny. Now you're too good to do it back there for somebody else's kids. You ain't getting paid. Oh, dear God, have mercy on a selfless church. I thank God we have a good church, though. We work through that. Amen? And that's why that seat's empty next to you today. Hopefully someone else that wants to serve will fill it. Amen? Now listen, it's real simple. We let you serve. After we've tested you. So you're not doing us a favor. We let you serve. No one's doing me a favor today by coming. You're letting me pastor you. The privilege that you have to serve in the body of Christ should never be underestimated. You get the honor of serving. Now, can there be bad churches that use and abuse their people? Sure, but not here. We give our nursery workers breaks. We give our child, children's workers rotations. We let people switch their life groups whenever they want to. We let our leaders choose. Do you want to lead weekly life groups or bi-weekly life groups? Our church is trying to do this best with its leaders and deacons. Can I hear an amen? amen? Verse 11, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and his household well. Now look at verse 13. What a blessing. What a blessing for the people who do this. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Are you guys ready to do this? Amen. We're going to ordain two wonderful people, a beautiful couple that have given their life to serving God, who have decided to be a part of our church. They could have chosen any church they wanted to, and I promise you any pastor would have been happy to have them serve with them. So we're thankful that they have chosen our church. They have humbly gone through our process, and let me just say this. They are an example of someone who knows a lot but still chose to go through our beginning stages. I know I'm sure they'll say they learned things through that, but they were raised Christian. They had a lot of information given to them, and they were willing to start over in a new church. Let that be a wis uh, you know, wisdom to all of us that no matter how much we know, if God asks us to start over or to humble ourselves, let us always do it. Amen? That reminds me of Jesus because Jesus was God over all creation but became a baby. He became a little baby, little, little baby Jesus, little baby Jesus right there. He did that because he loved us. And they're doing this because they love us. And they want to serve you. And they want to serve this wonderful church. So would you give it up for John and Laura Morales. Looking all good. 
I'm sorry I didn't pronounce it with the accent. Lada, right? Lada. Amen. Can we do a group shot with them here? Okay, I'm going to come on the brother's side right here. Amen. This is awesome. I'm going to be out on the first one. Oh, I'm still in it. Okay, tell me where you want me, brother. Hold on. That was a cheesy one on my part. Okay, there we go. All right. I want them to share with you, and uh, can we get the microphone up here, please? And before they do, in our church, we honor those who spent time discipling you and teaching you guys. So we want to give two awards to those who spent time discipling you. It's one of our elders in the church, actually, Ricky and Rachel Rivera. We love you guys. Can we get a group picture with them? Uh, one. Awesome. Oh, let me switch that out with you. And then if you guys want to start off by sharing something, too, you guys can. Put that right in there. Look at that other one right in there. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Amen. We love our leaders here. Ricky and Rachel, why don't one of you guys share? And I'll just sit down. Then after that, please, you guys share. And kind of step up a little bit in the lights there. Thank you. I would love to share. Um, what an honor and blessing it has been to disciple Laura and John as well. I mean, they have such a huge heart for Jesus. I can't tell you how um, wonderful it was to not only go over, over information, but in lesson number one in the introduction, it talks about how you want to let the information not just be information, but to let it transform you. And, um, and in Laura, knowing the Lord... Um, as a child, and letting this information transform her, growing together, not only just with information and, and growing as a leader, but as friends, man, I have to say, I just love hanging out with you. Um, and so we've not only developed a, a, a leadership relationship, but also a friendship. And, and that's what we're about here at church um, is, man, we want relationships. We walk with you in life. And I can truly say that that has happened with us. And I'm so thankful for that. Seeing your marriage, you guys are blessed. And it didn't come just because you wanted, you just asked Jesus, you guys have worked for it. You guys have put in the, you know, the, the prayer, the time together um, as a couple serving together. And uh, it's just such an honor to see you guys up here. I'm so proud of you guys. Amen. Um, I just want to thank you guys for making it easy on us. Uh, it's not always easy, but these guys, they, uh, they just made it so easy. They were so humble, so teachable. And uh, like Rachel said, uh, it was more than just giving them information, being their mentors. They, they became close friends of ours. So uh, we appreciate that, John, the times that we spent together, uh, just outside of discipleship, just hanging out, doing the race and all that. So little things like that, it's just uh, we value that, and uh, we appreciate um, you trusting us to, to pour into you, to, to, uh, to teach you. And even with that, we learned ourselves. I know uh, you will probably say that we taught you a lot. Uh, but really, discipling you, we learn as well. And so we appreciate your friendship and uh, everything uh, that you've done for us as well. So thank you. Amen. Thank you, Riveras. Take your time. Share with us what you got from it. I'm listening. And if you guys take about two steps forward, we'll get the blue off of you from the, the projector. There you go. Awesome. Thank you. Well, it is truly an honor and a privilege to be here. John and I feel so blessed to be part of a church and a leadership that does things right. Um, and so one of the first things Rachel taught me 
uh, was that I do have a testimony. So growing up in church, I thought I didn't have a testimony. I thought, you know, I never wilded out. I never did, you know, major bad things. So that's, I have nothing to say. And she said, that is my testimony, God's faithfulness in my life to keep me. And so throughout this whole process and always remembering that first thing she taught me, she was absolutely right, of course, as always. <laughs> um, I didn't have the easiest of childhoods. Um, my mother and I migrated. We were poor. We were without a family. Um, I was sexually abused as a child. I grew up without a father. Um, and so I checked every checklist you can have to be not here today. I could have been trafficked. I could have been um, a drug addict, a criminal. I could have been so many other things. And yet, here I am, and here we are, and I look at my life, and it is the best. Our marriage is amazing. Um, my education, my job, my ministry, my friends, my family, I couldn't have asked for any of this. Um, and so I'm just so grateful. And that is my testimony. My testimony is that God has been faithful and that he has kept me and that he chose me to serve him. And that's all I can do. Um, and so parents, don't, don't ever lack. Teach your children the word. Be strict. That is the best inheritance you will give them. And youth, let me tell you, there is nothing better than serving the Lord. Literally nothing. Nothing in this world will satisfy you. Um, and so, and if you have suffered, and if you've gone through hard things, believe in the Lord. He will redeem you. He will use it. Um, and so, praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. So I just wanted to share a little bit about our testimony, um, just how we came to this place. Um, so we were serving um, in a church. We, like, like my wife said and Pastor Joe said, we grew up in church. Um, so any church kids here, any, anyone in the house? Uh, yeah, so we grew up in church, and as we got older, um, you know, and I went off to college, um, that's when I had to decide, you know, is this, is this really for myself, or did I do this to please my parents? Um, and just the statistics now are staggering of how many young people leave the church when they go to college or they go on on their own. So it's, it's just mind-blowing um, who they're actually doing it for, you know. So um, at that time, you know, I had one foot in the world, one foot in church, trying to balance you know, our early relationship and, and this new transition of being in school. Um, so I played on the football team, so you already know the connotations that come with that. Um, so a lot of people tugging you this way, that way. Um, but I thank the Lord that he, he was faithful. He was good in my life because, like Laura said, he kept me from all those things. Um, so um, what could have been? never happened because God put his hand over my life. Um, and I just, I just thank the Lord for that. And uh, I mean, for, just for an encouragement for all, all the young people here, um, the enemy is like a roaring lion and he is looking to devour people. Um, so if you give him 
an inch, he'll take a foot. He'll take your whole life. So I just, I encourage you to, um, to stand firm in your faith. The, the following um, of that passage says to stand firm um, in your faith. And that's what I did as a, as a young, young adult. And now I'm still young. <laughs> and now that I'm growing, I'm over here like, like acting like I'm old. <laughs> but, um, but no, God, God has been faithful and in our marriage and at that time in our church, um, like Pastor Joe mentioned earlier, you need to be to be prepared for this, and we were not prepared. Um, everything was asked of us, and nothing was given to us. Nothing was poured into us. Um, I believe, though, God really um, used us in that time because even though we weren't ready, He He began something uh, a heart of service in us because everything that was asked, I did it unto the Lord. You know, if I did it to man, I would have left that the first minute. You know, there was a problem. But it was, it was for the Lord, so we stayed there and we served as best as we could. That's why now we're so grateful because we have, we, we're prepared. And along the way, we've been growing. And just because we're here now doesn't mean we're going to stop growing. This is only the beginning. Um, so just for the leadership here and just all the, the mentorship, the process, um, I encourage everybody to really take it seriously. And we don't take this title lightly. Um, I was talking to Juani, uh, I think last week, just he was saying how this title to him means more than any title. And to me, it does as well, because, you know, this is for God. What, every, every other title we do out there is for the world, whatever we do here. But this title of being a deacon, being an elder, being a pastor is, is for the Lord and for, for the kingdom. So praise God for that. Um, and oh, I got one more thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, one last thing. I just wanted to, um, to recently, something that really impacted me, and I just want to encourage other people to, um, whether you're, you're new to the church, this is your first day, whether you're uh, one, in 101, 201, um, something that Pastor Joe mentioned, uh, I want to say maybe like a month or two ago, um, was about... Um, um, it was a question that he asked. He said, um, if I tell you to go and you say where, you're not ready. So I thought about that a lot, been meditating on that. So ask yourself that. If, someone, if, if you are told to go and you say where, are you, like, are you serving your purpose? Because going is not a physical place. Going doesn't mean going to the corner. Going doesn't mean going to Madison and Pulaski or the Logan Square um, Blue Line stop. If you look at, in Matthew 28, 19, where it says, therefore, go, that word go means as you do life, integrate your faith. It's not two separate entities. It's one. So that, that just rocked me when he said that. So the way I look at it now is if Jesus tells me to go, I'm going to say, I'm already doing it, Jesus. I'm li my life is a living testimony of how good you are and what you can do in my life and what you're doing in my life, but what you can do in others' lives. So I encourage you all that to, to ask yourself, if Jesus were to tell me to go, what would I do? So I just want to leave you guys with that. And once again, we're so grateful to be serving here. Um, we're, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And, um, and we're so excited just 
see what God has in store for us. Amen. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you. Would you guys please stand in the front, please? And then all the rest of the elders and deacons who are present with us today, would you come around them? And John and Laura, would you face me right now at this moment? And then we'll pray for you and have you face the people. How we're going to end today's service is after we pray for them and ordain them, we're going to let them stay up here and take pictures and all of that, of course. But if you want prayer uh, from them today, as well as anybody that's up here as our elders and deacons, please receive prayer. Prayer for salvation, prayer for maybe healing in your body if you're sick, or prayer for encouragement to be a leader. They would love to pray for you because one of our... um, One of the things that a deacon can now do is pray at the altars, and that's really special. So you could be on their first day as, uh, you know, deacons. You could be that prayer that they would love to pray for you to be inspired. Amen. John and Laura, it's definitely an honor to serve with you. From the moment I first met you guys, I knew there was something special. And in my heart, I said, Joe, don't blow it, you know. I said, Joe, don't mess this up. Because I could tell from your story that you had already been through church hurt. And if you remember, some of the things I was sharing with you was take your time, go through some of the things that we're offering, see if it fits, because I would rather have sent you to another church that was a better fit than to put you into another cycle of hurt. But I'm thankful you stayed, and it's been awesome. And then you have also this month graduated Moody, correct? Let's give it up for a lot of graduating Moody, making moves. So we, we have the oil. And we're going to pour, no, they used to do that with the priests. But what we're going to do is take the oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit and pray and anoint them now. Elders and deacons, would you start praying for them in your own words? Congregation, stretch your hands towards them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is now my honor and privilege to ordain you as a deacon, a servant in the house of God. John and Laura, may you be a modern Priscilla and Aquila. In the house of God, opening up your home and changing the world for Jesus on your job, in your family, everywhere you go. Lord, I pray for John that he'll be the husband, the father, the man you've called him to be. Just as you said before, God, that as he goes, he'll integrate every part of you into his life. Whether he's eating or drinking, whether he's working, he'll do all things for you, Lord. Let other men in this church look up to him, God, as his example. And Lord, whatever mistakes he makes along the way, let your grace cover them. Let there be no condemnation, Lord. Let him never carry the burdens of life alone. Let him find rest in you, for you said your yoke is easy and your load is light. May he go forth in power to be a mighty man of God, serving in this local body. And Lord, we thank you for Laura. We thank you for uh, the degree you've given her to help others, to have a compassionate heart. We thank you for her job right now, working at another church to serve and to be in the community. We pray you bless her and encourage her in all that she does. May she be an example of a wife, a mother, God. May she be an example to young ladies of what purity looks like. May her testimony be what she always tells them because you are able to keep, God. You are able to keep, God, pure hearts, pure, God. Precious lives, God, you are able to keep them, Lord. And may she be a great example of that. And even for those who are broken and feel that purity so far from them, may she be an example of grace, God, because you gave it to her, God, and you can give it to anyone because you heal broken hearts as well, Lord. May they not be ashamed, God, of their youth May they be encouraged like Paul and Timothy were uh, to work together with their elders, Lord. And may they always serve you all the days of their life, being a great example of what servants of God are. 
And in closing, Lord, of this time together, Lord, I pray that as they serve you, they will serve with you. For where you are is where they are as your servants. Bless them now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Let's give it up again for John and Laura. Love you guys. Congratulations. Let's all stand up together. We're going to dismiss now those who want to come and congratulate them. Please do so respectfully if those are getting prayer. But they're not going anywhere, trust me. Band, you guys can come on up. Lord bless you. Have a great day. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. Have a great day.